0: Hi, I'm Frances Katzen and welcome to my podcast, The World of Real Estate. In this series, we will explore the world's largest asset class and how it plays out on a global scale. I'm very excited to welcome my guest today, a powerhouse woman that I've known for nearly a decade and having keenly watched her over the last five years or so. At an incredibly young age, She has quickly moved her way up the industry and achieved mind-blowing milestones along the way with her acute intuition and sharp eye. Samantha Sachs, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with me today. I first came to know you back when you were Chief Marketing and Design Officer for a large group vis-a-vis the project at 108 Leonard, where we had a rampant sales success. Before you take me all the way back, welcome.
1: Thanks Thanks for having me. Sam... Where did you grow up? I grew up on the Upper East Side in New York City. I was born in Florida, but pretty much raised in New York. How
0: would you describe yourself?
1: Uh, Strong, (laughs) pretty even keeled, um, and just kind of overall, and a person who's really enthusiastic about anything I'm doing, whether it's work or personal or travel.
0: What do you love
1: most about the area? I think growing up on the Upper East Side was a great experience. I think it's very family-friendly. I don't live there anymore, but it was a a really amazing experience growing up there between being close to Central Park and Carl Schwartz Park, um, schools, great schools in close proximity as well. So it was the idea of being able to have access to everything. 100%.
0: Okay. Your friends were probably all up there, too, so it was more social, too.
1: Yes, because at the time, most of the schools that are now downtown weren't in existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your
0: favorite part about your home and what makes it special?
1: I would say two (laughs) things. Um, First is the primary bath because it is quite unusual in New York to have a double sink and separate shower and tub. And I do not, I appreciate that every day. Um, But the thing I like the most is out of our primary bedroom, we have a view of a building across from us with a rooftop with string lights and a water tower and green trees that change color all through the seasons and flowers. And it's an unusual view to have outside New York and not have it be blocked with open sky and the view of the Empire State Building.
0: You're very partial to your bathroom. We've talked about that a
1: lot. (laughs) Love it.
0: (laughs) What was your first job, Sam? And how did you start in real
1: estate industry? Sure. So... My first job was working for a real estate developer who was working on projects in Morocco and Sardinia, Uh, real estate projects, hotel complexes. Uh, I had interned uh, throughout college because I went to the hotel school at Cornell, and they require you to have an internship throughout, and uh, eventually some of the partners there hired me, and then I worked for them for for two different companies, and then uh, was going back and forth living abroad as well.
0: And how, how? what did you know about Morocco? I mean, like, how does that work <laughs> exactly? You're an Upper East Sider who's
1: suddenly thrown into this. I had traveled there as as a child with my family, but obviously as a tourist, not as somebody who uh, was familiar with doing business. But, you know, to me, marketing and sales, whether you're in Morocco, Sardinia, New York, Florida, wherever you are, and I've worked in many markets, international and across the U.S., obviously there are differences, but there, at the end of the day, you're there to sell, and so there are certain things that are always gonna work and that you just apply from one place to the next. And you knew then that you liked it? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty fast that I knew. Um, You've worked with some
0: incredibly notable companies, including Allard Group and now Pontiac Land Group, overseeing multi-billion dollar portfolios and leading marketing, sales, and interior design for iconic buildings, one of which is 53 West 53rd Street. Starting out, did you ever doubt yourself?
1: Shockingly, no. Uh, I was always very confident in the work that I did all through you know, high school and college. Um, when I was in college and trying to figure out what my next steps were, I was always very much like, I'm going to take my own path. Uh, and even in high school, when I decided I wanted to go to Cornell to the hotel school, I basically stalked an executive at Starwood <laughs> to let me go meet him at the White Plains corporate office to stop it be, to have him write me a letter of recommendation then found out he was on the board so <laughs> and I stayed in touch with this gentleman all through college and when I was looking for jobs I never worked for Starwood but I used him as kind of a, a starting off point and the first time I met him he said what do you want to do and I said I'd like your job I was in 12th grade or 11th wow. grade so I was pretty bold and brazen in terms of what I wanted to do and even when people told me you need to go work for consulting firms and be an analyst and run numbers, I said that's not my thing, and I didn't really care what the path was.
0: Hmm. And uh, and you just got the bug for it.
1: Yeah, I think
0: I. How did you know you wanted his position? Like, how, how did that? How <laughs> do you connect to that?
1: I have absolutely no idea. That's amazing. I think I just like design. I like marketing. I like real estate. And I like hotels, because I like to travel. So to me, anything that, that took all those things into uh, you know, consideration, consideration mm-hmm. made sense. And this person was basically running development for all the hotels around the world. So I was like, oh, this sounds like a very interesting, cool job to have that would kind of tie everything together. <laughs> Obviously, I had absolutely no idea what he did day to day. But in my head, I wanted his job.
0: I'm amazed. That's and, so cool. Yeah. Um, so you weren't going to take no for an answer. Um, You were quite young when you broke into real estate scene. I mean, how did you get people to take you seriously?
1: I think that it's about confidence and like knowing what you're talking about and kind of listening before you speak. And Mm -hmm. I think every job I've had, I've always been much younger. So when I graduated college, everyone was in their late 20s, early 30s. When I took my first job in New York at the developers group, I was in my mid-20s and people who had my job were in their late 30s, early 40s. When I worked at Douglas Ellman, everyone was around turning late 30s, early 40s, and I was still in my 20s. Um, And, you know, now I'm basically 40, and everyone else in my job is substantially older. And I think that, yeah, of course there are challenges, and people look at me, especially because I can look younger, and they have absolutely no idea what I've done, and they'll talk about things as if I wasn't working at that time, and I'll say, (laughs) well, I actually worked on that project. So, you know, I think... Age is a number to me, Um, you know, and I still learn from the people that are younger than me every day in terms of social media and the different forms of marketing now. So to me, it's not about your age. It's just about your experience and your knowledge.
0: And you have an uncanny intuition. Thank you. I mean, it's kind of crazy to watch sometimes. Um, What's your secret sauce?
1: Great question. I think it's about the people you surround yourself with. If you you know, I've worked with you now on two projects and for me, if I've worked with people and it works well, that's my secret sauce. It's not about me. It's about the team and the people you surround yourself with. And I've worked with several people, whether they're publicists or social media agencies or creative agencies or sales team members. Uh, for me, it's once you get to know them and they understand you and you understand them, it's about trust. And I think that's the road to success. It's not really about me.
0: You have a good knack for that, too. The teams that I've worked on have been amazing. Thanks to that. Um, What would you say is your biggest achievement or win in your
1: career so far? I'd like to say I haven't had it yet. Really? Yeah.
0: Wow. Seriously? Yeah. Huh? Because there's been some pretty impressive moments where you've been able to turn a ship or reposition
1: a product when it literally was flatlining. I think that's something that I that I do well and then I know how to turn around kind of challenged projects or, you know, projects that have been marketed wrong in the past and actually bring them to be, you know, the top selling projects for sure. But to me, I feel like I have more that I can do, um, past just like being a CMO. Not that, that not to minimize the position at all. Um, but and that's why I've kind of involved myself in operations and I've involved myself in construction and interior design and sales and pretty much everything because for me it's not just about like one area of the company I like being involved in every area I don't know what that thing is yet I'll let you know (laughs) but uh, yeah because you're very naturally team-centric
0: and at the same time you know how to take the lead and and keep everyone in check and the fact that you're taking the next tier of that is quite it's quite impressive thank you Um, you have worked on some impressive collaboration, brand partnerships, including Bergdorf Goodman, Fendi Casa. What is the most important factor for you to get from an idea to a done deal?
1: The the brand partnerships to me are one of the most important things in terms of like selling the project. But I think that's what has set me apart from a lot of people who do this job, not because I'm special or anything like that. I just think it's about... Thinking outside the box, and we're partnering with brands that are not real estate, right? So, whether it's a wellness brand, a beauty brand, a fashion brand, that's going to bring something to the buyer that they don't have. And it's also going to bring press and attention outside of just like the real estate section in the Times, which is great, but that only gets you so far. So, if you think about it, it's about Like connecting the dots. These residents, they can afford what they want in luxury. It's about access. And oftentimes when I think about these partnerships, it's about what would be really great, like the first of its kind partnership that would set us apart. And then I kind of come up with these crazy ideas. Bergdorf Clubman was a crazy idea I had. And I knocked on their door for like eight months with them saying no over and over again. Many of the partnerships I've done, people like don't understand it. It's about Packaging it, explaining it's not just about how it benefits the project, it's how it benefits them, right? Bergdorf made a lot of money off that project just like I did. Um, not me personally, but the the project. Also, I would just say that a lot of these projects haven't cost any money to the developer. But in, in reality, it's kind of given an infinite amount in terms elevation. of elevation mm-hmm. and something they couldn't have afforded if they was just taking money out of their marketing budget.
0: Well, that's a luxury that isn't for sale, right?
1: Yes, exactly. It's mm-hmm. access. It's all about mm-hmm. access. And also giving, thinking something, you know, in terms of real estate, people don't necessarily think, like, well, how does Bergdorf Goldman relate to real estate? How does the New York Academy of the Art appeal to real estate? Or uh, John Barrett, we just launched something with, you know, a hair salon. It's Why? Um, and so, of course, the person who lives at the building can go access these places. But it isn't about that. It's about something exclusive and, and personal. Yeah, it's uh, it's
0: definitely defining. Um, What are your well, what personal habits do you incorporate into your lifestyle to inspire innovation and keep your creative flow happening?
1: So I, I think there's a few things. One being that I like to hear everyone else speak in a meeting before me. Um, Whether they're the most junior person or the most senior, because oftentimes they have ideas that maybe I don't, but also I don't want them to disagree with me because I'm the senior person in the room. Hmm. So that is one. Uh, I think two is I don't like to see the competition until my projects have launched, which is something no one else understands. I don't want to tour the buildings. I don't want to see the sales office. I'm not interested in seeing their marketing materials or e-blast. I don't want to know what colors they're using. I don't want to be inspired by that. So for me, I'd rather you come to me and say you would like to copy our kitchen, which has happened, instead of me going to you and not realizing that I copied something from yours. (laughs) Interesting. Why? I don't really know. I like to say I do. I think that for me, it's not about the competition. It's about setting your project apart. And like I said, I, I appreciate the competition and what they're doing. And that's great. But I don't. Want to follow it? I'm looking to to create a pro like a path for the project that's unique. Your own voice. Yeah, and that kind of is like the partnerships, right? I know I see a lot of other projects kind of doing things like that now, which is great. It's flattering. I'm I'm very excited by it. But for me, I don't want to know what they're doing. I want to be inspired by what's special about the projects I'm working on. I love that.
0: What would be your dream designer partnership and location if you could snap your fingers and make it happen?
1: It's a Great question. I think probably marrying all the things that I like. So like? I would say Go I would there. love to I got married in Mexico in a little island called Holbox. I would love to have a hotel on that island. I would love to have someone like Kelly Wurstler design it. I would love to bring in, you know, a spa and have someone like a Joanna Vargas or Barbara Sturm kind of spoil mm-hmm. everyone rotten with facials and <laughs> beauty treatments. And, you know, kind of bring in all the different things that I like, but kind of what I consider personally the best of the best and and bring that to like one place. And for me, travel is super important. And that's what inspires me. So it's the best.
0: I don't know how you have time to travel right now. Busy, busy, busy. (laughs) Um, You recently became the CMO of Pontiac Land Group. What impact are you hoping to make and what vision do you have for its future? It's a big ship to turn, and you've certainly started to set the benchmark with some of the highest trades in the city for a two-bedroom ever in the history of Manhattan.
1: So Pontiac Land is a an incredible company that has some of the most spectacular projects uh, in in Asia and you know throughout the Maldives now, and they have other projects opening in other parts of the world. And I think right now, um, my focus has been on Fifty Three West Fifty Three and trying to kind of separate the building from the pack, meaning everything else in Billionaire's Row. And, you know, because... Not a small, not a small task. Definitely not a small feat. <laughs> uh, I think Pontiac has an incredible reputation of building, uh, you know, star architect buildings with the highest level quality finishes, with incredible artwork. And my job is to kind of show that here. Um, and I think over the last two years since I've been there, we've successfully taken uh, a jewel of a building and and brought it out, and have now familiarized people with the name of Pontiac Land and the quality, uh, museum-like quality finishes is what we say uh, that they deliver.
0: You have, and it certainly has been a process. If you could live at any of the projects you've worked on. <laughs> And over the years, which one would you choose and why?
1: I think I'd marry all of them into some place that doesn't safe quite response. exist. Not really safe, and, but I can explain why. I think I'd take, just like I mentioned, the, the yeah. quality finishes. I'd take the, the finish work at 53 West 53 and the location near Central Park with the views of the park. But I'd probably pair it with the weather in Los Angeles (laughs) and the projects I've worked on there. And I'd pair it with the beaches near the projects in Florida I've worked on. And then I'd plop it down somewhere in Mexico because I love going there. Yeah, that sounds
0: like a good mix. Or Europe.
1: Like one of the two, Europe or Mexico or somewhere, you know, in, in between.
0: You've worked up through your career, advancing and stepping into the shoes of men older than you. As a cheerleader for women, because I am one, I would love to know what you've learned from those experiences and how you've seen the real estate scene shift relative to gender equality. Because we all know when there was a time that this was really a predominantly male business.
1: I think it still is in its own way. And I think it has definitely shifted. Uh, I have been used to being the only woman at the table um, my whole career. You say it's hard, but in a strange way, I kind of like it because I speak a different language than them in a way. Yes, and you do. I feel that when you're in a meeting and you're the only woman there, you have two choices. They can either respect you or not. And I've found a way to be, I'm very calm and even keeled. And so I think that helps in a meeting when you're the only woman to have like a strong voice, but it's a very secure voice and not, you know, not yelling at everybody and things like that. And I think that makes a huge, huge difference. Um, I would also say that, you know, it definitely has shifted over the years. But, you know, real estate is real estate. Construction is construction. Construction is generally, there's a lot of men working in that. I definitely was the only woman in a construction meeting yesterday. But I don't find that to be a bad thing. I don't really think about it when I'm in this in the space. Um, I, I know, obviously, there are you know, have been leaps and bounds for women in terms of how we've moved forward and, and have more senior roles. And you see that at the brokerages and, and you know, on broker teams. And there's so many women who are leading that, that way. And I hope to, you know, inspire other women to do that. But I, I definitely on a day to day basis, I try not to focus on that the same way I don't want people to focus on my age.
0: Yeah. When I started in real estate, they were like, we're going to nominate you for rookie of the year. I'm like, please don't do that. I want to seem like I've been doing it forever because I don't want to be um, hindered by being the new agent. It's the same idea, too young or too feminine. Or... I,
1: I think so. But I also think that you, you know, it's it's really, I'm honored when I get, you know, accolades in terms of like top woman in real estate. That's great. I just, at some point, we shouldn't have to have that. A hundred percent agree So hopefully it eventually moves along. But I do think that companies are trying, um, not you know, it's never going to be perfect overnight. But it's definitely come a long way since I started.
0: So I just want to extend on what we're talking about as it relates to women. And there shouldn't be this sort of acknowledgement of women versus men in real estate. but. You know, as you've said, you're coming up and you've seen it change. There must have been a point where people would tap you on the head and say, thank you so much, what would you know? Because you haven't been doing this 20 years. I've got gray hair, you've got blonde hair, and you're from Chapin. How the hell can you help me out on this, right? So there's a little bit of a condescension to that. How have you managed that in the day-to-day?
1: I've found that I want to hear what the other people have to say. If you're sitting in a room of men, like if you're sitting in a room of bankers, I'm going to walk in, say hello, sit down, and listen to what they have to say. And then I'm going to come in and smash it because (laughs) that's the way to get everyone's attention by also gaining their respect. Because I think a lot of times, yes, you're correct. Someone looks at me and there's like, who's this little blonde girl? She doesn't really know what she's doing. How Mm -hmm. long could she possibly have been doing this? Mm -hmm. She doesn't know anything about construction or design or development. She's just like a marketing and salesperson, right? Um, Because they don't really know what I do. And I think you kind of have to prove them wrong, unfortunately. Like, it shouldn't be that way. They should be able to see my name and know my title and know that I have experience. But it is that way. Um, And it's always, with some people, once you gain their trust and they know what you're talking about, it's easy sailing, right? Smooth sailing, sorry. But I think now um, there are always going to be some people that, you know, it's the boys' club. That's how it's always been. Um, But I think it's, like, breaking down slowly by by time and at certain companies um not happening overnight um and i'm used i hate to say that i'm used to it but i'm kind of used to it i really don't think about it on a day-to-day basis yes i know there are certain people that i work with who it's going to uh, have worked with over the years sorry i know there are certain people that i worked with over the years who you know it took longer for them to warm up and that's fine But also, it could be said the other way, right? They could say that I'm judging them in a different way too. So I I think that at the same time, you have to give everybody a chance. And hopefully, the same way they're giving me a chance to see what I can do, improve myself, and vice versa.
0: You're very wise, Miss Sacks.
1: Old in my years.
0: (laughs) So you know, there's always one break, one moment where someone says, I see you, you get to sit at the big boys' table. What was your big break?
1: Well, I guess there's a few ways of looking at it. The big break in terms of the start of my career. Well, being able to sit at the table with a lot and be
0: taken seriously at a level that is not for the meek.
1: I think I'll say it like this. I didn't. It wasn't like I made a phone call and I knew somebody who gave me a job. And that was that. That was not my like root oh. um, that was not my path uh, I got the job that I had at the developers group through a recruiter called me saw my resume from working in in Morocco and I was applying for jobs everywhere and uh, got the job like the good old fashioned way and then from there uh, market crashed and you know the company got sold and everyone got laid off like everywhere one else in 2007 eight. 8 whatever year it was um, and I was looking for a job And then I was trying to get a job at one of the brokerages. I wanted, I thought it would be a really good place to go or for a developer. And obviously no one was developing because the market crashed. So I got my resume in front of Andy Geringer at Douglas Salomon. Company was on a hiring freeze like everywhere else. Um, And I got lucky. One of the people in the role, in a senior marketing role, her husband was moving and they were moving. And I got a job in the middle of the hiring freeze uh, it was a fluke. It was—I hate to say—luck. He had my resume for months. No, never. No one ever called. Um, so it was timing, and I think it was just like the right time, right place, right everything. Um, and then from there, I was at Douglas Elliman for several several years. Um, got a job through a recruiter again. Got poached. Went to the next job. Um, and and again, I do think timing's everything. I left my. Uh, job at a lot like 2 or 3 weeks before covid hit thinking like I'll just take a break and then the whole <laughs> world took a break um which that's honestly right. was I like a, a really good thing for me to kind of recharge and then I uh, got a call another recruiter and went to the next job and and mm-hmm. that's really how it's been for me it's not um mm-hmm. it's not it
0: wasn't one person. It wasn't saying, one person okay. who
1: you know you went to some powerful person and you got a job. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that that doesn't. If you have that, that doesn't mean it's wrong. Great, If you have a leg up, I just didn't have that. Um, but I don't. In my mind, like the path has kind of naturally happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worked at the Developers Group on the brokerage side and the consulting side in terms of sales and marketing, and I was like, "Oh, it'd be really great to work for Developer next and flip sides and turn the table." And I'm glad I had worked. um, On the brokerage side. I'm glad I had done the developers group in Douglas Elliman because now sitting on the developer side, I know what I'm getting from the sales team and the marketing teams at Douglas Elliman. I know, or whatever brokerage I'm working Mm -hmm. with, I know what I can ask for. I know how long things take. I know how much I can push for things. And I also understand it. So there's like a mutual understanding at the table that like I get it. I know where they're sitting because I was there.
0: It makes a big difference, by the way, when you're liaising between ownership and brokerage. 100%.
1: 100%. And I think understanding both sides of it yes. gives me some softness in terms of yes. being understanding while also having very high expectations because I know if I'm getting everything out of the sales yes. team or not. Yes, um, So it works in both directions. And because I have done sales in my personally, like I get it. Um, I haven't just sat on the marketing side, right? And I think that's really important. Well,
0: that's what gives you the edge.
1: Right. Mm Because if you don't understand how the whole uh, thing works and how the wheel turns, then you're kind of just sitting with like one little cog and it's stuck.
0: Totally. There's always a blind side. If you haven't understood our world, it's very hard to understand the process.
1: Right. And I also think like the different markets, especially now with everything going on uh, in terms of everyone moving around so much because Mm -hmm. of COVID. And obviously, people always traveled and had multiple homes. But having worked in multiple markets, uh, Florida, California, New York, and also... Abroad, I think that gives you a different perspective. And also, you have to reach out to buyers. Even if you're selling in New York, you have to know how to reach California. Yeah, you do.
0: Don't you love the fact that we have that in-house at Douglas Elliman? Plug, plug. <laughs> it does
1: come in handy.
0: What is your morning ritual like? Honest.
1: So, I work... <laughs> um, kind of New York and Singapore time. Yeah. So it's a 12 or 13 hour time difference depending on the time of day. So for me, uh, when most people are waking up here, I'm already on calls with Singapore. Um, but what I try to do is I like to be up before that because that's like kind of my time to catch up on my emails and not be bothered. And that is the time like that I can actually take a minute. So... I use the morning as time for me to literally catch up on work, but I also use that time if I have a free morning, it's the time where I literally just don't look at my phone and watch some TV and just disconnect, kind of just depends on the day.
0: Yeah, I get that. Your husband is also in real estate now. Um, He works on a top team at Douglas Elliman. What's the dynamic like at home when he comes to talking work?
1: (laughs) Uh, it's definitely we're figuring out a balance. Uh, mm-hmm. He comes from the hospitality world and is now uh, in residential sales at, at DE. And I think that uh, making sure we try not to talk business all the time, but also it does come in handy. If I have a question, I say, you're a broker. Would you attend this? <laughs> you're a broker. Do you like this? What do you think? So it's definitely uh, a new thing for us. It's only been a few years, but I think that it's a great thing. And, you know, for me, I've always been telling him to do that for years because I know his his uh, strengths and in terms of his, what he can do, and I'm glad he did that. But, of course, we don't need to talk deals 24-7.
0: Yeah, it's a lot after a while. Um, if you weren't in real estate, what would you be doing?
1: I would be doing probably something in, like, design and hospitality or jewelry. Really? Because jewelry is probably my Your biggest thing. vice right the thing that i can't help myself so if i'm going to treat myself it's usually a piece of jewelry i like doesn't it. need to be expensive it could be super cheap and you know found in a market somewhere in thailand but something that makes me happy
0: yeah i'm the same <laughs> retail therapy when you're not working what are some of the things that you do to unwind you kind of answer to some of it but i figured i'd push on it sure um and to stay sane because you work in an unrelenting business. It is non-stop and there are deadlines and pressures and everybody wants your time and attention.
1: Sure. So I would say the local thing that I would do is just watching television like <laughs> everyone else, some Netflix, um, but also, uh, you know, doing something outside of the house, kind of exploring the city, whether that's like going to a food hall or going to, you know, Brooklyn Flea or whatever it might be, something yeah. that's like outside or you're doing an activity other than just, you know sitting in your apartment. Um, but long term, the way that I relax is vacation and travel. And that's probably the most important thing to me. I, I always say that I don't work to live. I work to travel. I love that. Um, and that's a huge thing. And I would say traveling is where I get the most inspiration for everything I do, whether that's a model or any marketing. I've come back with like patterns that I took a photo of and I was like, here's our new branding. Love it. So that kind of thing. Mm.
0: I find that to be incredibly in- it- restorative and inspiring you kind of answered the last question mm-hmm. but I'm still gonna ask it what's your advice besides jewelry
1: diet coke and I don't <laughs> see true. that as advice because I don't <laughs> drink coffee so everyone has to have a little bit of caffeine in the day in my head um yeah I'm mm-hmm. gonna go with diet coke
0: wow that would be a first for us on the show
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm curious now what other people have said but it. I think it's great. I'm gonna go with diet coke
0: Sam, thank you so much for taking the time out of your insane schedule to be with us today. Thank Thank you. you.